I am blessed this week to have a guest co-producer as well as a guest on the podcast. She, her Twitter handle is Chi Chi Chewy. Um, her name is Carissa, and she is an amazing young woman. I reached out to her on Twitter when all of this began to happen um, just because of a statement she made that I wanted to respond to. But then as we began to tweet back and forth, I asked her to be a part of this podcast and to share her thoughts and her views and her experiences. Um, I don't know all of her story. I knew about rugby, which you will hear about first up. Um, She told me when I first met her how rugby changed her life and how effective it was for her. And when we began to talk about this podcast, I knew I had to ask her about rugby and about how the camaraderie of playing rugby is cemented because they're all trying to achieve the same goal. And she went above and beyond to get me an answer. She actually reached out to her rugby team, which just blew me away that she would do that for one. And then when I heard their responses, my jaw was on the ground and I had tears in my eyes and their responses ignited something in me that I thought was long put on pause and banked and not flaring up. But hearing these young women speak, hearing their heart, hearing their intelligence and brilliance just amazes me. And it makes me even more determined to correct anyone who would say that this generation is a lost generation, that this generation does not understand what is before them. I would go to bat before, but I really will definitely go to bat now after hearing these young ladies speak. So without further introduction to this first segment, I will just say that listen with your ears, but not your ears only. Listen with your heart, listen with your mind, and listen with your spirit. Um, being on a rugby team and um, how like color doesn't matter, um, especially because we are... We're, we're, we're trying to reach a common goal. Um, the great thing about rugby, and um, yeah, the great thing about rugby is everybody is welcome to play. Like, I'll I'll even go far to say is that's like a unsp- that's like an unspoken like bylaw. Um, and for those that don't know what rugby is, rugby is like a combination of soccer, football, lacrosse, and literally. No matter the shape, no matter the size, no matter the color, um, you you can play rugby. 
Like, I've even seen a handicap league for rugby. Like, people in rugby. People in, people in rugby. <laughs> people in wheelchairs. There's a league for people who are in wheelchairs who can play rugby. Um, and what people don't know is, like, rugby is known as the gentleman's sport. It's a gentleman's sport. So, manners are, like, completely, completely, like, it's, it's low-key embedded to the game. Down to what we call our refs, sirs. And um, there's, like, no bad-mouthing. Um, they're like we you, you're not supposed to tolerate disrespect like like and I know a lot of sports say this but like this this is the I this is the idea and the theory of what like what a sport's supposed to be it's supposed to be companions like compa- yeah, companionship sportsmanship like we are here to play a sport and afterwards we get lit you know we have socials you know but there's still like unless you got personal vendettas and of course everybody doesn't follow this philosophy but like it's it's just still like this community like even now I'm on I'm on a group with Facebook and like you got we call ruggers people who play rugby ruggers ruggers from all over the world that are in this chat and yet we bond over this thing and like that's that's many that's many communities many groups whatever you are and um and the goal for all these groups is that you come you you coming together for a positive thing and not negative although there are groups and communities like that um so I was first introduced to rugby my sophomore year um my first year of school I had dropped a lot of weight and um I was also I was looking for something to help keep me active um and like a a healthy use as an outlet uh for like anger issues I have um and just a healthy outlet because being a person of color being a woman it's just hard in general. So you have to, I think it's important that you find healthy ways to cope. Um, mental health has become a big passion for me. And I wanted to like, just do, I, like whether I realized it or not, I was looking for healthy ways to deal with the things I was going through. I remember going down um, my school's like College Avenue and I seen somebody I knew from freshman year. She was like, hey, play rugby. I was like, rugby. I was like, do I get to hit people? She was like, yeah. I was like, that's it. I'm in. Let's do it. discuss what we're thinking about this tumultuous time with the whole protests and the George Floyd murder and it's really just made me think about how short our time is especially if you do if you do live in a marginalized group and I already have a bunch of quote quote unquote disadvantages working against me because I am a queer black woman. I'm not rich. My parents are immigrants. Um, so I have all of those working against me. And it's been really scary to think that this is the world that we live in. And I had to come to terms with the fact that I don't know if true justice or equality will ever be achieved within my lifetime. It sucks and it hurts, but that's just... That's just the the reality that I have to live with. But um, one thing I am fortunate about is being 
is being involved on the rugby team because before before I joined I thought it was just going to be just like a one or two practice thing and then I'd be over it but I noticed that everyone was getting involved like no, no one was sitting on the sidelines and it just felt really welcoming no matter what we looked like where we came from whether we had experience in sports or not it didn't matter you had a place on the team and that was just something that I I realized I did that I needed I needed to be wanted in some way and it's just been a really amazing experience and whether we win or lose it still feels like a family and it's just one of the most inclusive environments I've actually been in. Especially because we have such a wide variety of people. And it's just been really eye-opening and beautiful. And I just hope our world can be like that one day. first-generation immigrant. Coming to the United States eight years ago was a dream come true. The USA was deemed as a land of the free and the land of endless possibilities. Coming from a country with a lot of ethnic divide and many revolutions, I thought I was done seeing it. But here we are in the land of the free, fighting for our fellow brothers and sisters' lives. In theory, this fight does not have to be hard, but the theory was proven wrong fight against racism is not about making everyone equal. It's about accepting each other's differences and giving help to the ones who need it more. When we grow as we lift up others, we are lifting up not only on an individual level, but on a communal and even countrywide level. A very simple example of that is interactions within my rugby team. Not everyone is equally good. On individual level, some are better at running Others are better at tackling, but we all accept our differences and help each other in our lowest skill. As we help each other master different skills, we become better as a team and are able to achieve more. Expanding this analogy even farther, I also want to mention that everyone on my team has an array of different skin colors. We have people of different ethnic backgrounds and cultural backgrounds and suicidal backgrounds. Accepting each other was the first step at becoming a family that we are, but the second step is to advocate for each other. This simple analogy can be translated to our communities. Never stay silent in the wrong situation, speak up and stand up for each other. Accept your privileges and use them to advocate for black people and other minorities. Thank you. Hey, I wanted to offer my perspective if you want slash need it on the questions that you put in the group chat. And for the first one about how the dynamic of UNCG's women's rugby team works because we're all focused on a common goal, I was thinking a lot about how model community structures work in Peter Block's Community, which is a book about um, community structures and things like that. Um, 
And what he says is that in order for organizations to work, I'm paraphrasing, and for organizations to gain traction and communities to have a strong foundation, no matter what that community is, um, a recognition of people's gifts, no matter where they come from, is really important. And I think that the community that we've created on our rugby team is so conscious of that, the different gifts that people bring to the table um, based on how we view the structure of the game. Um, If somebody isn't a really great runner, then they have a place in the pack. If somebody um, is really, really tall and can put a lot of distance, even if they can't really make those tackles, there's already going to be someone there to protect them. Um, And I think that the understanding that there's always a way to support someone in the game of rugby really contributes to the way that we can see the gifts that people bring to the table, um, not just on the field. And it has created an insane amount of support for everybody on the team and an understanding that just because you lack in one area doesn't mean that you have don't have any talents and there's somewhere other creative avenue that you can work in um and it's so okay to ask for help because that's the entire game is just asking for help and the support of a team so i think that focusing on a goal rather than where people start with it um creates an incredible kindness and support system that you can't really get without that understanding already being there. So I think that our rugby team is so effective because it's a microcosm of a model community um, that I have been so, so, so grateful for because I've learned so much um, from every single person on the team in so many different ways. And for your second question about how, if racism goes away, will something sinister take its place? This one was really hard for me because I've never really experienced racism, so I can put on rose-colored glasses with it to a certain extent. Um, I think the big thing is how we approach the dismantling of racism, Um, if it comes from a really, really large place of white guilt, then that opens up the opportunity for a lot of loopholes, a lot of white people still really being in power, but feeling like they need a concession to shut people up, um, which is historically what has happened. Um, But if it comes out of a place of real self-reflection, long-standing discomfort for people who aren't black um, to actively work towards that, I think that it could teach an overarching lesson to where a lot of the things can be reflected on in a way that something sinister doesn't necessarily take its place. But I think on the other side of that, Every system of oppression is so intrinsically connected. Um, Feminism, racism, xenophobia, everything is so intrinsically and historically connected um, in a way that 
a lot of things if racism in our country is I guess quote-unquote fixed then it would go away Um, but that would mean a massive amount of reparations and generations upon generations of dismantling and that's definitely something that I don't expect to see in my own lifetime Um, I think that the biggest thing that could come from racism being gone is a hole being left for capitalism. Um, But the dismantling of racism comes with the dismantling of the origins of our country and how we face that and how we look at how our country was founded. Um, And it means that the majority of the country, the vast majority of the country has to accept that they are wrong and have benefited from something that is very wrong and has resulted in more things that are very, very wrong. Um, And I'm not sure that a lot of people would be willing to do that. I hope so. I can see a way that it does happen, but that means that a lot of people are, need to be recklessly compassionate really, really quickly. And I'm not sure that people are willing for that to happen, but I am hopeful. Um, I hope that helps. I love you. Hope you're okay. Bye. Reckless compassion. That blew me away when I heard that. And I have been doing some editing to these excerpts but I could not edit out her saying I love you that after she talks about reckless compassion it was like the action to what she had just talked about that was to uh, Carissa of course because she put this up and a group that she's a part of. I was flabbergasted when I heard these young women speak. And reckless compassion, what does that look like? Do we even have any idea of what that looks like? Of course, I can't help but think of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for us and his sacrifice just for entering earth a falling a fallen environment that is reckless compassion he came to earth so that each and every being that has breath can experience salvation and can experience right fellowship with the Father. That is what reckless compassion looks like. I don't think I've ever heard that phrase uttered out of anyone's mouth at all. Reckless compassion. My God, if we woke up every day intent on showing reckless compassion, what would the end of the day look like? I think it would look like heaven had come to earth. 
praise God. And I don't I don't know all the build up that Carissa gave when she put this on her group chat. But I'm sure knowing Carissa, they know that she loves God and they know her character and they know her compassion and her integrity. So I, I, I know they know all of that, but I don't think Carissa put up anything to direct these young women what to say and how to speak. Reckless compassion. Praise God. I think it is wonderful that these ladies talked without mentioning Christ or scripture or the word because it just confirms the fact that even without mentioning Christ's name, what he came to earth and died to give us is prevalent even in what is going on now. Reckless compassion. If we lived as a culture, as a people, as a body, to show reckless compassion every day, I would say that we would have none of the ills that we see going on now. Whatever name you want to call the ill, whatever ism the ill is. If we each practice reckless compassion, there wouldn't be room for any isms. And I wanted to start this podcast with that hope and that optimism at the top of the show, because that lets me know, even though everything that's going on, there are still people who have hope. Still people who are trying to find good. Still people who are trying to get understanding of what it would take to correct what's going on right now. Reckless compassion. Sounds like a solution to me. It's fascinating how... Two different people who've never met can have similar instances in their lives. Um, Carissa and I had similar things happen to us, and we are a generation apart. I talk about a mountain experience that I had where I was recruited to work in the mountains. And at the time that I was recruited, there was less than 1% minority in this state. Carissa has a story that talks about the same thing. And there are statements that could be made that at the time people think they're compliments but honestly they're not it's kind of a backhanded comment and Carissa talks about that as well so it's interesting that we are a generation apart however 
some of our experiences are so closely related that it explains why some of the things that continue to happen continue to happen. And it's because conversations like this are not prevalent in our society or in the groups that we are a part of. Sometimes we trade politeness for openness and genuineness. And it just becomes a repetitive cycle, both for us and for others around us. So I'm just going to now share the story that Carissa shared about her mountain experience that is so similar to mine. And they were not the same mountains, not the same people, not even in the same century, to be quite honest. My experience happened in the late 90s and hers happened in the 2000s but when I heard her tell this story it just amazed me how things really don't change and so we do have to make a conscious conscious effort to make things change so the next excerpt you hear is going to be from Carissa Oh, <laughs> so um, it's, I've been told a couple times by a couple people, which is damaging in itself. I don't think people realize that I am part white. No, according to my family. Well, actually, that's a different story. But they told me I've, I've been told I act white. I've been told I speak white. I've been told I was bougie, whatever. Okay. Um, but um, I tend to do quote unquote non-black activities. Um, I've played orchestra for a few years. I've played the sport rugby. And what, what people fail to think, there's a lot of black people in rugby, but that's not what we're here to talk about. But stereotypically, I do activities that are typically non-black. And um, like again, extracurriculars you do, you go on outings. Um, so one outing we did was going to a teammate's, her aunt's house. And um, she lives in Virginia. Yeah, she lives in Virginia. And one time we were out there, there was a maple festival. Um, Yeah, a maple festival. And I was super excited to go. And like, I I didn't have much knowledge about the area, but the um, teammates whose aunt, um, whose house, her aunt, who we went to, like, she was always nice, um, always accepting to everybody. And we had like different shades of people on the team, always accepting to that. Um, So I'm thinking, I'm assuming, (laughs) you know what they say when you assume, Everybody who lives in this area was going to be like that. But sometimes I forget we are in the South and I was in the mountains. So we drive about 30 minutes, 30 minutes to go to um, the festival. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm like, ooh, Maple Festival, you know. I'm a city kid. Um, so when I go out to, like, the mountains and all that, like, I'm always baffled. Um, because even though uh, 
like I know of it like it's, it's just different when you see it so I'm just happy super excited to get there so we finally pull into town and um I start to realize I don't see no people of color and as soon as we parked the car I was like maybe when we get inside we'll see more people no, like I'm saying maybe within a 25 mile radius no people of color and that didn't really click to me because when you're driving through the town like you don't you don't like when you're driving through the mountains you don't see a lot of people um you may even see like trees or whatever but I'm like of course I'm like then of course you black people everywhere you know assuming huh so we step outside the car and as soon as I get out the car I feel I feel eyes just shoot to me and I was just like okay play like maybe we'll get closer and I'll see more like I was like I was like I don't even care if it's black people I was like maybe an Asian person Hispanic or Latino nothing I'm I'm a I'm a very at this point I'm a freckle in a crowd and I was just like all right I was like eh, that ain't no problem I've I've been the only black person in a classroom but we're talking apples and oranges being the only black person in a classroom is far different of being the only black person in a town and it, it it's, it's chilling to think how like people's necks just snapped and I was just like crowds is watching me and understanding that I'm in a place like I, if something pops off, I'm literally the only person that looks like me and I came with two other people that don't look like me and they can't fight against the whole town. So while we're standing in line, I was like, uh, well, while we, well, we're, not, we're not standing in line at this point, um, while we're just walking around, I'm like, all right, maybe we can check out another, you know, what's going on. So they had a museum. And um, I walked into the museum. And once again, just everybody looking at me. Like when I walked in, people were just looking at me. And I'm, I don't think we stayed in the museum two minutes because the first thing I saw when I got in there was a Confederate, um, was a Confederate uniform. And it was on display like this was something to be proud of. And I remember... I don't know what they're called, but people who like basically tour guides or somebody who works at the museum, he saw me and his face instantly lit up. And the first thing he showed me was the Confederate uniform as if I didn't see it before. And he was like, look at this great piece of history. And I felt the tone of condescending, condescension and I was just like, oh, this is what we doing. Um, luckily, one of the teammates that was with me, she was like, no, nah, we ain't having this and we immediately left. As I'm leaving, um, there was a family sitting outside playing around and I'm just walking as soon as I may be I'm not even like uh, six feet from a child the mother instantly grabs her she's like no 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 and I was just like yo no like I'm already in I'm already in shock from what I've seen in the museum but lady I don't even like kids like that no one is concerned about your child and the fact that you only became the only time you were concerned about your child because your child was running around was when I walked past them, and I'm not even in reaching distance with you, showed a problem with me. So the one girl who was um, in the museum who was like, okay, let's go, was ready to go because she see, like she seen all the color drain out of my face. And she, even though she was white and she couldn't possibly understand how I feel, she knew it was time to go. But another girl, the other girl I was with, she just seemed to be completely oblivious. And was like, okay, well, because we were like, oh, we're about to leave. She was like, oh, well, since we're about to leave, can I get something? I'm just like, late girl, do you not, is, what's not clicking? There's a chance I'm in danger here. Like, they're looking at me like they've never even seen a black person before. And you sitting here acting like we hear this, this is a friendly environment for all? Nah. Um, and then, and then what's funny is, 
It didn't click to her until we got back to the car. And then I remember, I'm, usually when I'm comfortable with people, I'm, I'm just talking all the time. Chatterbox. That whole ride home, well not home, but the whole ride back, I was just silent. And I was just like, just trying to process that. And it's, 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 it's crazy to think about. Carissa talks about the Confederate uniform in her mountain experience. And my mountain experience had happened with the Confederate flag um, is a little bit more humorous. At the time, it was not humorous. Um, as I said, where I was, the state itself had less than 1% minority at the time. And honestly, that's why I was recruited and a number of others were recruited as well. And so most of the other recruits had families um, or they were involved in other activities. So one weekend, I and one of the other recruits who was from China and had only been in America two to three years, um, her English was great considering that she'd only been in America two to three years and she basically was self-taught English. Um, we were going to this festival on the Capitol grounds. And so we said we'd meet each other there. Didn't we, you know, we weren't really thinking we would have trouble finding each other since we were in the less than 1% of minorities. Um, so I get to the Capitol grounds and um, I'm walking and this was before cell phones. So um, we couldn't call each other to say, hey, I'm over by the flagpole or hey, I'm up on the steps. So I'm walking and I'm looking for her and I see her and I'm walking towards her. And as I get closer to her, I realize she has on a t-shirt that has the Confederate flag on it. And not only does it have the Confederate flag on it, it has a saying on it, something like, born American, rebel by choice, with the Confederate flag on it. Um, which is a contradiction in terms, because one, she wasn't born in America, and as far as I know, she didn't choose to be a rebel. But I'm also aware that we are in the less than 1% of minorities in this entire state. And we are on the Capitol grounds at a festival. So I, like Carissa, I'm processing. I'm like, what do I do about this? But because of politeness, I didn't want to make her feel uncomfortable. So we get through the festival alive, thank God, which honestly, I wondered if we would. And um, we went out to dinner, I think, or we went to a movie or something after the festival itself. And it was just something that kept nagging me saying, you cannot 
let this go you have to explain to her what that flag represents and so I did I told her about the you know the Civil War the Confederacy and she apologized and at the time she asked me about racism because she's from China and she's like you know racism really does not exist because everybody looks alike and so we had that discussion and I was done with it um, I, I figured you know I had educated somebody you know on my feelings and I was open and honest so I'm feeling proud of myself and I was done with it I really didn't want to discuss it any further I mean we made it through the night alive praise the Lord so on Monday when we went back to work though fan uh, likes to tell a story just as much as I do so she told people about what happened and she worked in another department and so but we were close together on the same floor and so my manager overheard the story and so he comes and he's looking at me he had a very he had a very descriptive facial expressions and so he came over to me and he looked at me he was like uh did you have a good weekend and because of the way he looked at me i knew he had heard what happened so um like I said, this is my first job out of college, so everyone else in my department was a whole lot older than me. And so they had taken it upon the, upon themselves to look out for me, you know, to make sure I was fitting in comfortably. So these older ladies, you know, come over and they want to hear what happened that weekend as well. So we were sitting here in a state that has less than 1% minorities having a discussion about how I felt about walking around with someone with the Confederate flag blazing across their chest. So even in my early 20s as well, you really, if you think about it, you probably are confronted with issues of race more than you care to remember because I would have happily forgotten that story and not spoken it to anyone but apparently it wasn't supposed to be that way and because of the household I was raised in we find humor in everything so it has become one of those stories that I tell um, with a chuckle in my belly because it was funny. Looking back on it, the fact that I live, it is funny. But I think the more comfortable we become with telling our stories and why the Confederate flag is still so divisive and incendiary to people of color, I think we take the power of it away. There were basically two questions that I posed to Carissa and she took out to her friends. And the second question was if racism ended, would something more sinister take its place?
And I am amazed by Carissa's answer because we didn't talk. I didn't add any more to the question. I just posed the question to her and she answered it. And she begins in her answer to talk about evil. And like I said, I didn't bring Christ into any of the questions or the conversation. And Carissa hadn't listened to my podcast before I asked her to be a part of it. So she really doesn't know the leaning I have on the podcast because she knows me. She knows Christ is involved, I'm sure. But we didn't specifically talk about spiritual things. Yet Carissa begins to talk about evil and her answer about will racism ever end. And of course, that is what I am going to discuss as a wrap up to this podcast. And Carissa also talks about her experience at the protests. And she doesn't really bring up evil in that discussion. But in my wrap up, I will explain how evil is prevalent and what was on, went on with her. So what you're about to hear is Carissa's answer to if racism ends, will something more sinister take its place? And you're going to hear about her experience at the protests recently in downtown Raleigh. Will racism ever really go away? We've had the civil rights movement. We've had... <sighs> We've had leaders like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr. Like something, a concept that's so simple. The color of someone's skin does not define their um, character. I'm pretty, I'm, I hope I didn't mess up that Martin Luther King quote. If I did, don't put this in there. <laughs> but um, that like, that still fuels society today and what people don't realize is our systems are embedded with racism and like for a country that says liberty and justice for all they drop the ball on that heavy because for all includes everybody who inhabits this land and we can see very clearly how this country treats marginalized group and we're not even just talking about black people i seen a um, sign that said this land was stolen by natives built by black people and kept beautiful by latinos and I'm just like, if that's not if that's not the truth, I don't know what is. But yet people people still can't grasp this concept. So um, I try not to be a pessimist. I consider myself a realist. I don't think racism will ever go away because we we talking 400 years, 400 years, well, more than 400 years. And people still can't understand this, this simple concept that. Everybody should be treated equally based on like their content of their character. Yeah, they, yeah, that's the same. People should be and what they do and not what they look like. And it's unfortunate we live in that world. However, I am a creative and I do like to think hypothetically. Um, so hypothetically speaking, racism went to if we made snapped our fingers and racism went away. Will something sinister take its place? Um, hmm. I think I'm going to use yin and yang, the good and the bad. Um, I think something else will rise up 
And unfortunately, that's just the reality we live in. And I say that because somebody's always mad about something. Because if we were to reach a utopia where everything was fine, we've we've been would have done that. Like, have how far have we came? How far have we come as a civilization from industrialization to now this tech, this technology booming era? And we still, we still fighting these simple things. And it's like we've come so far, yet simple, simple concepts we can't grasp. And um, and like well, I was saying this: we come so far. Yet we still have these problems. We still we still face these things, and um, I'm not gonna say nothing is possible. Nothing is impossible. I'm not gonna say no. Wait, mm. I, I can't say anything is possible. Um, but um, you know the saying, "Danged if you do, danged if you don't." Somebody's always gonna be mad, and you li- you can't please any everybody. You really can't, and somebody's gonna find something. Or a scapegoat. And then hate is just going to be fueled by it. And unfortunately. As much as I want to be hopeful. As much as I want to be an optimist. Evil has its way of trying to creep, creep its way through. But um, that doesn't mean. Everybody has to be evil. It doesn't mean everybody has to be quote unquote bad. It doesn't mean that we still can't fight that. So um. I guess after a long drawn out <laughs> explanation, um, my answer would be if racism goes away, will something sinister take its place? Yes, because unfortunately, how I see it as of right now, because of course your views can change, things can change as I see it right now. Yes, something will rise up. They always say this. Nah, never mind. Alright, um, so I will now talk about my experience, um, protesting. Um, so, growing up, I went to a school that was ran by the Nation of Islam, and, um, from, like, the grade, from grades, from second grade to fifth grade, um, even though sometimes they were extremely radical, um, I think, I think that was a great thing for me, because at a young age, my history wasn't whitewashed, um, and like I said, of course, you're not going to agree with everything that somebody does, but I'm extremely grateful that my mom chose for me to go to that school, and I got to, I, I really got to learn, uh, learn about at least black people's history in America. And even then, they like even before they would teach us um, about our history before America, because I think sometimes people um, are like so blindsided to the fact that our history, black people's history, begins with slavery. And it's like no, it doesn't. Some there was we we have a whole bunch of kings, queens, emperors. Like we have some phenomenal people in our history, and it doesn't need to be downplayed to just slavery. Um, so I think. There's, there's always been like a little radicalist um, voice inside of me uh, um, and just knowing that information growing up um, I'll never really be blind to the fact um, of what's going on at least I hope so and if not I hope somebody would correct me um, so because I've known 
like a lot of this stuff um and even though I grew up in the suburbs and um been exposed to other cultures I, I still think I'm in I'm very in tune with um my black side like for lack of a better term I'm working on it with my Latino side but um for the most part I think um I'm pretty much in tune and I'm I'm comfortable I'm very comfortable now in my blackness um so when I um when I saw the news of George Floyd who and like I've seen the videos going around on Twitter and just social media in general um I don't I don't I was of course I was sad but um and I don't know why and I'm not gonna and I'm not gonna question it but it seemed like this death was just it was something different about his death and Lord knows God rest his soul may he rest in power and I really hate that we had to lose he lost his life like that um it's 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 sad the way he died is sickening and something's got to change and like I said something it's something about his death that's that's a little bit more different the fact that all 50 states all 50 states and countries outside of us who may not know everything that's going on are protesting I think that's a start and I think we are in the middle of history because there's a lot of things that haven't been done that are being done right now and um my hopes and my prayers is that we don't lose momentum um and that we are able to get human and it sucks that we have to kind of beg for it but human I'm not gonna say no I'm not gonna say beg it's a shame that we have to fight for it for basic human rights basic human decency um it's ridiculous but um I think that what's the saying the marathon continues and um quite frankly I'm sick of running this race so I really hope as a people and not just black people just people in general can come together to start making changes and um the changes we need is it's not going to be instant um I know we live in a um, microwave society but we talking centuries centuries of foolishness so it's, it's going to take some time and hopefully we are able to come together like our ancestors and just unite and not even just unite like in our communities but like unite as a people and we are able to unite over generations because there are things we can learn from people that came before us and there are things from people who came before us who can learn from us and if we can take that and put that together what I'm telling you there will be change and but I think it I think it's important to note that Everybody needs to find their role. Everybody needs to find out what they need to do. And that we we at least need to have some common goals in mind. But that's another um, topic. I, I digress. I was talking about my um, experience of the, um, going to a protest. Um, so, so, like I said, it, it was just something about this death. And um, a friend of mine had told me about a protest going on in downtown Raleigh. Um, and I was like, hey, let's go. Um, she was like, I want to go. Do you want to come? I said, I do. Um, I want to exercise my First Amendment right because this is not right. Um, so um, before this, however, um, I was on Twitter and like, like I said, something about this death just sparked something. I don't know if it's because I'm a little bit older now um, or what, but I've just been going in on social media, sharing threads to um, petitions, sharing threads to links where you can learn more. 
just being a trying to do internet activism um because if I'm if I'm gonna spend all this time on social media because as much as I don't want to admit it um and people in general we spend a lot of time online I was like, you know what, I might as well at least spend the time I'm using online to try to be effective and try to be a voice. And if I reached one person, at least one person got the message. Um, but I started seeing things about protests because Riley came after um, other protests and um, started seeing things that were that are potentially scary. Um, the fact that I could be met with tear gas, the fact that I could be met with rubber bullets, um, and I like to be safe and solid. So before I went to this protest, I made it I, I made it my business to pack a bag. In this bag, I put a first aid kit. Um, I put extra bottles of water, um, one to drink, and two just in case we were met with tear gas. Um, with this water, I also had washcloths, so I would um, put water on the washcloths if needed, and um, make a cold compress to put on somebody's eyes because I don't think there's really much not much to really combat against tear gas I mean I guess that's why it's used but um you know trying to stay ahead of that um what else did I have I had an oven mitt just in case I came upon um, oven mitts just in case I uh came upon tear gas and maybe needed to move it away from people um because I seen uh take like using like the the same because tear gas um in the container is going to be hot and um, I've seen that tip, like all these tips I'm dropping, I've seen on um, Twitter or social, or social media of some forms. Um, and just in case I needed to take that tear gas, I'd either throw it if push came to shove um, away from people. Um, but then, then I thought, I was like, that could be even more damaging. But there was a tip, it was like, you can take these canisters and put it in sewer. I know that's not ecologically the best thing, but um, people don't need to be met with tear gas. So I had first aid kit, oven mitts. Um, I put on, it wasn't much, but it's something, nothing. I put on like a waist trainer and like a sweat vest just in case my body got hit with rubber bullets. Fortunately, I did not have that experience. And um, what was the last? Ah, I had um, goggles. So my freshman year of college, I took a science class. And um, first of all, I paid good money for those goggles, so I kept them goggles. But I brought them because... Um, if there was like fumes in the labs, you protect your eyes, you know, PPE. And um, I brought those with me. So I had a book bag ready to go. I had my face covering and I was ready. So the protest started out wonderful. Um, uh, it, it was wild to come up there and to like just see people of different colors, different races, ethnicities, sexualities. And to see just the solidarity, I was like, this is what a peaceful protest is all about. And it was wonderful. So we started off at the courthouse and people were talking, they were making points and everybody was just listening. So then we start walking. Uh, and we, we started walking for some time. And uh, I remember walking down, the, walking down the street at one point. Um, there were a couple people. I don't, I don't know what exactly they were doing. But um, basically what they were doing had agitated the police. So we moved from that area. We, we continually kept walking. And um, I remember a group, they kept walking, but like part of us had fell off. I don't know, either to like take a break or something. But then, um, because like many protests, you see police just parked. Of course, I understand hood to protect and to serve. Okay. Um, or to make sure there's order. Because I think it's, it's, this is very important to note. Um, 
Some people use these platforms to live out their anarchy fantasy, um, to just try to downplay the movement, or basically do do things that they know will sabotage what we're what peaceful protesters are trying to do, and then whether they're vandalizing, whether they're looting, whether they're rioting. Like those people, I'm not talking about the people that are angry and felt like they have no other choice, or maybe they may even fit into that too. But I'm talking about people who disregard what this peaceful protest was about and use this as a way to flip what's going on. And then the people who are peacefully protest, they're gonna act as scapegoats and they're gonna take the blame for all the foolishness that other people were doing. Um. So yeah, what was I saying? Oh, so um, it's a good thing we could edit. But um, but like I said, we had tape. We we went off to the side for a little bit. But I just happened to notice at the corner of my eye, four cops started walking towards us. And um, I was like, okay. But what alarmed me was they all put on their mask, like put on gas masks. And what was chilling to me about it, they did it like in unison, like almost like it was a machine. Like I uh, sometimes like that that image pops up to my head and I'm sitting there like whoa 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 we just walking and chanting why are you putting on gas masks so at that point something in my mind was like Krista things are about to get real and I threw all my um I like flipped my book bag around threw in my goggles took out my oven mitts gave like I like pot holders and I gave it to my friends I said just in case you need to throw this back because they putting on masks and we <laughs> we might have to throw it back and um fortunately fortunately um we weren't like very close to it however we still felt the effects of it and um it's it to this day it baffles me um I'm saying to this day like it was too long it was only a couple days ago but I'm probably down the down the road from now I'm gonna look back I'm like wow they really do tear gas to peaceful protesters and um I don't know if it was my adrenaline pumping or what, but because I had goggles and because my face is barely covered, like I breathed in a little bit of it, but um, I wasn't too affected by it. But unfortunately, all my friends didn't have goggles. Everybody wasn't prepared. And to hear the, like to hear, I wouldn't say wheezing, but like to, to know that people are still marching and they can't breathe because they taking in tear gas because people are upset by words yet they supposed to be trained to protect and to serve that's a problem and that's just my account i was um in this day and age everybody can go live you know you on you can go live on instagram you can go live on facebook you can go you can basically go live on snapchat you do a recording to see people sitting crisscross applesauce in front of a line of officers dressed in riot gear why are you coming to like then these all these questions start pumping popping up in my head why are you coming to a peaceful protest in riot gear like what's going on like it's it's like you're preparing for war like I heard somebody say that it looks like they're preparing for war and these are citizens that are not armed um but yeah to see people sit crisscross applesauce in front of a line of um basically riot police (laughs) national guard and to still be tear gassed because they're boxed in to see that to know people who've been through that that's upsetting like the audacity people are exercising their first amendment right sitting down 
like I'm not gonna, I'm not, I ain't trying to be funny. Basically, kumbayaing, and your instinct is to throw tear gas in them. Nah, nah, that something that just doesn't sit right with me, and it's 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 baffling because it's one thing to hear about it, it's one thing to read about it in the textbooks, but to live through that. Nah, that's that's all I can literally say is just nah, because you took an oath. If you are a police officer, you took an oath to protect and to serve, but to feel like one of the biggest gangs is the police, that's the problem. And the fact that people are like, it was what the National Guard was sent in. It's just like, what what year are we in? Like, what's going on? Why is that an option? And why? Like, it's it, it throws me off. It really does, and I really wish, I really wish people didn't have to go through that. <sighs> but um, another thing I'll say about protests, um, I touched on it briefly, but um, something that has just been seems to be a trending topic is um the looting and like the rioting and all that, and um, there there is so much to unpack there. And um, if you want me to unpack it, I'm down for it. But if not, if we're getting too long, because I know I'm a little bit long-winded, that is also fine, too. Um, hmm. This is what I will say about that. The fact that I see people more upset about looting, and I'm talking about to corporations that have insurance, that these things can be replaced. And we talk about stuff that's overpriced, but I ain't even going to go there. Yeah, you you have so much to say about that, but didn't say anything else about the life that was taken. I see a problem with that, and it's like I'm I'm nonviolent too. But how you gonna tell somebody? How you gonna tell a people that's been oppressed for centuries to be calm? Because when Kaepernick kneeled, he was met with criticism. When people in the civil rights movements were doing sit-ins. They literally had to do trainings like they were going on to a job. They had to, they, in these trainings, they were met with racial slurs, like being spat on. Like they basically ran simulations of what they were going to go through. And it's a good thing they had those trainings because the, the mental effect it has on someone is ridiculous. Like civil rights sittings were some of the peaceful forms of protest, but protesters were spat on protesters were met with racial slurs some protesters had hot coffee pouring on them and they were arrested yet they are still criticized for that and I'm just like sometimes it feels like you can't win when we peacefully protest we're still met with criticism and we are still at like a deadlock and we are we still face consequences then if people who besides the people who use um riot not riots protests as a way to riot and loot then you got people who are just angry just angry and feel like drastic times calls for drastic measures whether they started the riots or not in order for you to get an attention get your attention and then all of a sudden they're thugs they're hoodlums but yet but yet people people protested against their safety like it it doesn't make sense to me you tear gas people who are peacefully protesting yet people who storm capitol buildings with ar-15s pointing guns in police face spitting on them talking this is ridiculous 
because some the the government is asking you to do something for your safety, yet not a scratch on them, not a scratch on them, yet peaceful protests is met with tear gas, mace, rubber bullets. It's clear that it's clear that you see the hypocrisy, and it it it, it pisses me off, and it does, and and and, and all that black people are still expected to be silent and I'm just like when does it end Carissa may be surprised that I didn't edit any of her response to what she experienced in the protests but everything she said in that segment was important. She gave her first-hand account of what was going on, and this is probably the third or fourth time that I've listened to her account. And as I said, we didn't discuss her account at all. But what I hear confirms what I believe through the word of God. The word says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood only, but the powers and the principalities in the spiritual places. And so as I hear her talking, I'm hearing her actually giving description to this scripture. I know Carissa's mother and she is an intercessor. She prays for things in heaven to come to earth. So I know when she found out her daughter was going to this protest, she began to pray and she began to intercede. So when Carissa explains that when her group of peaceful protesters noticed that the police officers were coming towards them with riot gear on it made me picture what was going on in the heavenlies because Carissa's mother is an intercessor Carissa's mother was praying for the angels of God and she was praying the word of God which is our sword I don't want people to misunderstand when they see my bitmoji with a sword that is not a weapon that we use necessarily in the physical the sword is the word of god so when i swing my sword and when carissa's mother was swinging her sword she was tearing down principalities and powers and i don't think it's much of a stretch of the imagination to know that is what those officers sensed when they saw Carissa and her group because she was covered by prayer and she was covered by the angels of the Lord who her mother was praying and dispatched on her behalf. And that also goes to the part where Carissa said Weeks ago, there were people on the Capitol grounds with assault rifles. 
I saw the pictures of this. I saw the picture of the the person with a rocket launcher, actually. Which I had no words for, and I still don't. And they were able to walk through society, go to restaurants with rocket launchers on their backs. So it begs the question, why does someone with a rocket launcher not appear to be an enemy of society? However peaceful protesters are, it begs the question. I will take it further than it's about color because I I know how the spiritual realm works. If it wasn't about color, it would be about something else that people could put a physical attribute to. This is spiritual. There's no doubt in my mind that it is spiritual. Carissa alluded to it earlier and I said I was going to conclude with this fact that everyone is not evil. Everyone is not evil. But dare I say there are those who are for God and those who are against God. And Carissa says, when does it end? Those who have read Revelation, they know when the end will come. It is descriptive there is no doubt when the end will come. Revelation tells it perfectly. And like I said, we did not plan this. She gave that description of her protest without any prompting from me, without any instruction from me. I just told her I wanted her to talk about her protest experience. But because she is a child of God, and I know her mother is a child of God, and an intercessor, Carissa's steps are ordered. She gives such an amazing description of the things that were going on around her, and the things that were going on in past experiences, You cannot teach anyone to speak that way. That is who she is. That is the core of her being. And she is a child of God. So God will use her and her experiences and her mind and her spirit to bring about the change that he would like to see. And he does that for each of his children. So I thank Carissa for being such an amazing example of this generation and the generation of God that wants to see change. Carissa mentioned that at this time in history, 
which I believe there is no question that this is a particular time in history because I haven't watched the videos of George Floyd's murder, but I know there is something different about it. There is something different about this time in history. And Carissa and all of us who are here now are here for such a time as this to do as the Lord would have us to do according to his plans for us, according to the destination he has for us. We will reach the expected end that he has planned for us before the beginning of time. Our God knows the end from the beginning and he gives us descriptions and milestones of what we should be looking for. This has been an amazing experience. I have been taught things, microaggression, I didn't know about. I'm going to have to look into that more. But mostly what I come away with from this is reckless compassion. And Carissa and her friends actually have started a group which you will hear about next. And I will look forward to bringing you another podcast next week. But the group that Carissa and her friends have started is called the Butterfly Butterfly Effect, which is the title of this podcast. And I will let her give that description as well. But you all know by my logo, I love butterflies. So again, this was just ordained by God for me to encourage her to step out because each generation is needed but we need to encourage each other to keep going forth and to be a witness for God and to support each other to love one another as Christ loved us, and to show reckless compassion. God bless. All right, this will be my final video or recording clip. Ain't no video. Um, First and foremost, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. Um, for letting me use your platform to just tell a piece, just a, just a small piece of my life, um, my experiences, and all that. Um, I really appreciate you for inviting me, and I appreciate you letting me reach out to other people so you can hear different perspectives. Um, I think this is great. Um, I think we need more. We definitely need more. We, mm, we need more conversations, and we need to keep this conversation going because that's that's definitely a step into making sure like we make a change. Um, so again, just thank you, thank you for letting me talk. Um, I do want to also make this point because um, I don't I don't know the demographics of the people who listen to your podcast, um, but 
Um, hopefully, uh, it's my hopes that you learn something. It's my hopes that you learned a different perspective, or maybe I reiter- maybe I reiterated something that you've been saying for years, um, or for a life. I don't know, um, but um, I don't know. I think I, I do want to challenge people to do more than um, just sharing and resharing. I think. Um, even though everybody has their place and I don't expect everybody to be on the front lines I think everybody has a role or a part they can play when it comes to this fight for equality Um, so um, if you can donate to funds if you can um, have conversations with people that you know are racist um, just just take a step a step a call like have that call to action please do something because the way things are like this can't keep going on like I it's it, it can't the list the the ever growing list of black people like mainly just 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 black people alone that die is is too long it's literally too long and we not even talking about the hashtags so I'm, I just, I really just challenge anybody listening to this to sign a petition, donate if you can. I understand we're in a pandemic um, and you may not be able to afford it, but l- look into the ways that you can change something. Um, over these past, this week or so, it's, it's crazy to think it's only been like a week plus, maybe two weeks since the death of George Floyd. And, um, I've I've spent a lot of time on social media just airing out my grievances. Um, But a good friend of mine, she put a couple of us together and she she put in a plan. She's like, we need to do something. Um, So she, she, she got a group of us together and we are putting together health and safety kits for peaceful protesters and people who are affected by COVID. Um, And if... If you would like to learn more, feel free to reach out to me. Um, and it just, I guess the best thing I can say is to stay educated, stay informed, and know that like little, little things like that, like my friend bringing a group of us together from all walks of life to do something, like that's even sparked, that sparked other people to do things. And um, you, you like, you really don't know what the smallest action can do and it's funny I say that um because um we are called we we call ourselves the butterfly effect um and the the effect basically says um even the small flap of a butterfly's wing can change the um can change the weather and tremendously lord I'm not gonna say this again (laughs) Um, the butterfly effect says even the flap of a butterfly's wing can change the course of a weather causing a huge effect across the world and like I said I just really challenge you guys to to do something because something needs to be done things need to be changed and that's going to require persistence that's going to require organizations that's organization that's going to require unity and that's going to require people just coming together for a common cause. And that common cause is basic human decency. Um, so I thank you for, again for having me. And um, yeah. Mm-hmm.